Hi everyone, this is Dina McKay and welcome to a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged. You can find full show notes for this episode at blacktechunplugged.com. This is episode 10 and on this episode I have two very special guests, Felicia Hatcher Pearson and Derek Pearson, co-founders of Black Tech Week. On this episode you're going to learn more about how Felicia and Derek got into tech as well as the Miami tech scene and so much more. If you have a chance, I would grab a pen and paper because they're going to drop some real gems. So let's get it. I have two very special guests today, Felicia Hatcher and Derek Pearson from Black Tech Week. How are you? Doing great. How good. Good. So I I think a lot of my listeners know that you are both the co-founders of Black Tech Week. But to get started, give the listeners a little bit of background about yourself. All right. Um, I grew up in a small city in Georgia called Bainbridge. Went to Morehouse College, graduated with a degree in economics and mathematics. Uh, worked for Wachovia Credit Risk Management at the University of Minnesota. Uh, worked at Target as a financial analyst. And I started working for experiential marketing companies. And with those experiential marketing companies, uh, I did product launches uh, in a lot of cases. Did uh, We Fit. I launched that along with Felicia. We both were managers. Uh, so that was a full uh, working for a couple of experiential marketing companies. Felicia and I started uh, Ice Pop, a gourmet ice pop company called Feverish Ice Cream. So we implemented all of our experiential knowledge and marketing experience into this gourmet popsicle company uh skill that company was able to get seven hundred fifty thousand dollars in investment from one of the largest real estate uh conglomerates in the united states um after that we started cold fever miami so cold fever miami is our 501c3 and it has been the brainchild or the, i guess the the institution that we decided to create all of our programming for communities of color through. Um, so we started off with boot camps and doing JavaScript, full-time JavaScript development. And after that, we said, okay, we have all of these people graduating from this program. We've partnered with a lot of boot camps in Miami. How can we then uh, get them jobs? So our partners had hiring partners, and we said, okay, let's take another route. So we decided to create Black Tech Week, and Black Tech Week is our way of getting those graduates into technology. It, it transformed into a national convening, and that national convening brought venture capitalists, investors, uh, startup founders, technology professionals of color all to Miami. And after that, we did, um, we did our VCN residence program. So our VCN residence program was designed to target startup founders. So Black Tech Week was about entrepreneurs. Um, we, we started seeing a lot more entrepreneurs come. Well, it was about technology professionals. And we started to see a lot more startup founders coming to Black Tech Week. And their major pain point was access to capital. So the VCN residents said, okay, let's, let's take out the middleman. Let's take out that person, uh, the gatekeepers. And well, Marlon Nichols, who was a top um, investor over at Intel Capital, who is now a partner at Cross Cultural Ventures to Miami for the entire month. Um, and he coached and guided 30 entrepreneurs uh, over that course of that month. They had office hours with him each week. He was able to get uh, startup founders from his portfolio to come and also coach and guide 
of our startup founders, um, and we connected him with players within the Miami area. So that included economic development agencies, angel investors, as well as other venture capitalists so that he could partner and make deals um, in Miami. And our latest thing is the space called Tribe, um, which is our co-working space um, in Overtown. So this is the hub that we're going to be doing a lot of community engagement, curating and creating an environment where you have all of these creatives and developers and entrepreneurs in one space to transform the community um, and to do great work. So that's me. Well, Derek, you said everything. Now I don't have to ask you any more questions because you, <laughs> you told me a lot about your background. But Felicia, it's your turn. Give your background story. Yeah, I mean, so so ditto on and almost everything Derek said because he's my other half. We've been married for nine years. Uh, I'm a Florida native. Um, I'm the author of a few books, and then the co-founder of, of Code Fever and Black Tech Week, along with with Derek. I was a C student in high school. I hated school, but uh, had a guy tell me I'd never make it to college, and proceeded to like prove her wrong and. At the same time, like teach myself how to code and end up winning a pretty substantial amount of money to go on to college. Uh, I left school early to go work in like marketing and tech. So like Derek said, with a lot of experiential marketing companies he talked about, I also worked for the MBA as a front office marketing manager for the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Minnesota Lynx in cold, cold Minnesota. I uh, didn't last that long as a Florida girl. And, um, you know, we started Feverish Pops, which is a gourmet popsicle manufacturing company that we ran for seven years before we sold the company. And the good, the bad, and the ugly of entrepreneurship, we know it all really well through that experience and started Code Fever actually as a service project for our employees. Uh, we knew that they weren't going to be in popsicles forever. And we were perfectly fine with that. And we wanted to train them in the most marketable skills possible. Uh, if anyone's familiar with, like, Miami, like, most of our employees, they were from, like, the Liberty City and, like, Overtown area. And at the same time, like, Miami startup ecosystem was just starting to sprout up, and it just was not inclusive of the black community at all. And we wanted to, we wanted to, to change that. And so that's where Code Fever started. And it started at a really interesting time for us because we were also getting out of a really crazy investor relationship with our food company. And it just made us really happy uh, to, to be able to do this, uh, to be able to see the transformation that was happening with our students as well as like their parents. And most importantly, like just showing, not just on the technical training side, but then showing uh, the black community like how to navigate Miami startup ecosystem as a person of color and be able to extract like all the resources that were out of it because it wasn't targeted in our community, it wasn't taking place. And so with Code Fever, you know, on the technical side, launching that, but then like anyone that's listening to this podcast knows that there's all these other things that you need to have lined up if you want to either successfully launch a career uh, or have a career in STEM or, or launch a startup. And the technical side will only get you so far. And so that's, when Black Tech Week, like Derek said, came into play because it allowed us to bring all those other resources within arm's reach, not just for, you know, the people that we were working with here in South Florida, but 
across the across the globe because people were coming from all over. And it was literally like Black Tech was just like a dream that just kind of blossomed into so many different things and programs like, like Derek mentioned from not just the conference with Black Tech Week, but then also Black Tech Weekend, which is a tour that we're taking to other cities that we're really excited about. Uh, the VC and residence program came from asking, like, what happens when your friends and family can only give you a round of applause and, like, not an actual round of funding? Like, what do you do when you have limited networks, but you have amazing ideas and you're a problem solver and you have the technical skills, but you need the funding to survive and your family just doesn't have it. Your city isn't providing the right resources, policy isn't matching, all the things that need to really support uh, making sure that the black community is an active participant in the innovation economy in those cities. And then, um, you know, the, the last part Derek mentioned, like Tribe, uh, a space called Tribe, it's our co-working urban innovation lab that's in historic Overtown in, in Miami uh, is another part of like our mission of uh, ridding black communities of innovation deserts. So people are very familiar with food deserts, which not often talk about our innovation deserts and how um, our communities are disconnected from everything that's going on and kind of this big, big boom. And then somewhere in between there, we had a little girl named Lori, and she's four years old. And she's really active, and she's literally been going to tech conferences since she was like six months old. Well, so you guys have explained a lot. One thing that I want to start with is the Miami tech scene. So you said it wasn't very welcoming, especially for people of color. Have you seen that evolved over the last couple of years? Let's kind of paint the picture of what the Miami tech scene looks like in 2018. Yeah, so it's, you know, Miami and... When I say, you know, you can kind of like look at Miami and look at South Florida, so that's the Tri-County area, Broward and, and Palm Beach County. But Miami kind of really brings home everything, right? Um, Miami has the most robust um, black startup ecosystem in the entire state of Florida. And that's largely in part for the work that we've done over the past few years. So four years ago, like no one knew what the hell we were talking about, right? Excuse my language, but they just didn't. And they would look at us like we had three eyeballs and like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like black community and tech, what are you talking about? Like coding, like what is that? And so it's come a long, long way. Um, and throughout the entire county of Miami, you've seen a lot of strides. So not just the work that we, we do and we've done, but you have all these other organizations that are solving the problem in different ways as well. So you have um, Angela Benton and Numi Accelerator. Uh, she moved that from the Bay Area to Miami last year, and they have their accelerator that, that takes place here. You have Dr. Ponway Gibson and Ecotech Visions that has a um, green manufacturing co-working space in the Miami Gardens area, which is one of the most robust, like one of the most successful, like black-led municipalities in South Florida and probably in the state. Derek, you can correct me if I'm wrong. You have, you know, Digital Grass here that does work and programming around the black community and, and women. And so you have a lot. You know, the city of Opelika has a Thrive Innovation Corridor. You have Black Girls Cove that is, you know, based in, in Miami. So there's there's a lot. Um, you know, we have Florida Memorial University. Most people don't know Miami has an HBCU, and they have a cybersecurity program that was launched by uh, Lance Lucas uh, with Digital Solutions that expanded their program from Baltimore to Miami because of what's going on. And then you can't not talk about, like, our access to the Caribbean 
um, and and just Miami being that gateway of every for everywhere. So it has really come a long way. Uh, Knight Foundation, who is our uh, founding sponsor of our conference, uh, has really paved the way. Right, they kind of played the economic development role when government wasn't funding this type of work and this kind of collective work around just creating a startup ecosystem and specifically around making sure that the black community was, was included. And you also have to look at the fact that not only do you have these pillars in a community, but you have the Underground Railroad as well. So you have to look at the effect and the relationships that Felicia, myself, uh, the Knight Foundation have uh, with the other players in the community, such as the Lab Miami, such as the Wind Codes, uh, such as the uh, Launch Codes. Um, through our relationships and those partnerships, we, we act as feeders. So we, we act as feeders as well as influencers. So our work in making sure and talking about the diversity issues from the very beginning has forced or has inspired these other players to create diversity efforts within themselves. So WinCo, for instance, now they have scholarships and, and, and show up at these events. We created a, uh, a partnership with LaunchCo as well. So from our first adult culture in partnership with Ecotech Visions, um, we executed the training. Again, our stuff is culturally tested. Our stuff, our, our training is designed by people of color. We understand um, the people. We understand their mindsets. We know how to deal with them. We know how to communicate with them. And they're inspired because there's a person that looks like them teaching course. I think one of the cool things about that program as well, Derek, that, that we did with Ecotech was it was there was a holistic approach to tech training. And so when you talk about being able to get our community into the innovation economy and get the training, like you can't separate the individual in the classroom from socioeconomic problems, uh, access to Wi-Fi, like making, making sure like basic Maslow's needs are met, a stipend, right? So because they're going to be in a full-time program for 12 weeks and you want people to be able to successfully get through that program, then you have to be able to compensate them while they're in the program. You know, we had some students that, that were homeless, you know, and like trying to help them kind of navigate to find resources so that they can find like shelter. Like these are real issues, right? Um, that I think doesn't get talked about enough when programs are, are, are launched um, on how to just kind of make sure that you are, um, working with and nurturing and training like the whole person and not just this one part and expecting the same results with, with, with people that have like everything, right, or have very stable foundations when you're trying to train people in our community that come with some challenges that you also need to make sure you address before you then go on and train them. And those are all great points. And I think one thing that really stuck out to me is how you guys mention that there's more than just, for instance, let's just use coding as an example. There's more to teaching someone tech than just code. There's different socioeconomic issues that you might have to address, maybe different skill sets that you have to address. And I like that it sounds like in the Miami tech community that they address all of the issues. Yes, I, and it's the whole kind of like nonprofit and funding game, and that can be like a whole other conversation, right? But like we can't keep launching programs and keep 
doing workforce development for people and not addressing the things that are the issues as to why that they're not fully engaged or fully employed or being able to like maximize like their gifts. Like you, you, you can't separate those two things. And so like if you really want to ensure the success of someone um, going through a training program, you have to take a you have to take some time to say, like what are the issues that you, you or what are the challenges that you have? And how can we help you address those challenges so that you can then make sh- then show up every single day for like a 12-week boot camp? And so when we talk about like boot camps, right, it's different in our communities. And we, it's okay to be able to have those conversations and pull together the partners in order to address those needs so people can be successful. Like, and that's a conversation that I think is very easy when you talk about youth. But when you start talking about adults, like, people don't want to have that conversation. Like, they don't really want to do that. Like, can this person be trained in two weeks? No, because they still need basic digital literacy training before they can go through a, a, a workforce uh, coding program. And we have to be okay with the results not coming out the way that it looks good on paper because these are real people with real issues that also have, like, really, truly want this, but you can't separate the two. Also need to be understood that when Felicia says that some of these people need basic digital literacy um, training, we we don't even we don't have an entry exam or anything. We accept people for who they are. So a lot of the competitors, a lot of the other institutions, they kick you in the very beginning. You have an assessment, and if you don't pass that assessment, you can't get into the program because why? It requires more work, first of all, and second of all, it could take them longer and their graduation rates would be uh, lower as well because they don't provide all of those wraparound services. And and our program, again, is, is different from other programs because it's not just a tech uh, program. It's an entrepreneurship program. We start off with uh, business knowledge. We teach them how to create marketing plans. We teach them about uh, create, uh, doing pitch competitions and actually refining their ideas and doing pricing and identifying customers. All of that stuff we teach them within our program. So you can think of it almost like a, a mini accelerator, like almost like a, a Y Combinator, where we teach you and we uh, expand upon or give you uh, technology training and skills, as well as entrepreneurship skills, so that you can hit the ground running. You can choose to work with somebody else, or you can choose to create your own enterprise. And that's awesome because a lot of people, like you said, don't have the skills to know how to walk into a, let's just say, a pitch composition. So that's amazing that you guys teach them those skills. And that kind of makes me think there's a lot of programs out here for learning tech skills. Do you think that the focus maybe need to take a different perspective on what they're teaching? I mean, I think you, you've still seen a lot of challenges with like coding boot camps, right? And um, the results on the other end of that are not really where everyone would like like to see them. So it's definitely open for uh, a lot of changes and for people to kind of take a step back and say, are we really servicing people? Um, and are we really connected and making sure that we're teaching the things that make it very easy for these people to then go on and work for these technology companies? And there is a bit of a disconnect there. You know, and I think we see that, we see that in the adult programs, but we definitely see that with um, high school and college students that are looking for for employment. Um, we're just not a lot of organizations just aren't teaching what these employees are looking for, uh, and that's not and that's not exclusive to tech. But this is a tech conversation, right? Um, we see that across the board. Like we are putting out students that are not prepared 
for the jobs that are available for them and the opportunities that are available to them. So we do have to make um, a lot of sweeping changes. Um, but that's also one of the reasons why I like kind of like this accelerated learning um, process because we can definitely course correct much faster, but you have to be willing to be able to do so. But I think employee, employment partners play such a significant role in that because they're the ones that can tell you and tell organizations and programs and colleges and universities and high schools, like, this is exactly what I want to see so that you can go from, you know, it's a pipeline, right? Go from your university directly into employment and be able to fit into our company culture and also be able to thrive. And the more we can have, like, those kind of conversations, the more employee partners can play a big role in building out the curriculum for these programs that are feeders, I think we'll see more success. But if we continue to build programs in one area and corporations are saying and doing something else, and that just gonna continue to happen, then we're going to continue to see what we're seeing, right, is people are graduating programs and they're struggling to find opportunities. Um, they're graduating programs and these organizations are saying, you still don't have what I'm looking for. You're lacking the networks. I need the warm introduction, like all these other things that we hear. So how can we all like, you know, kind of cut all that and be very smart and intentional about the programs that we're building and make sure that they're direct pipeline. And for me, like, um, I, I'm, a, I'm a researcher. I research my ass off. Um, I've, been, I've been researching throughout undergrad um, and prior to that, when I was in middle school, I was looking at U.S. news reports in middle school when it first came out, and nobody knew what in the world I was talking about. So I knew all of the college rankings and, and why this university was ranked like this and that, and that was just my passion because I wanted to be a Ph.D. in nanotechnology. Um, that changed, of course. But um, when we talk about developing our curriculum, what's the, what's the most widely used language in, in the United States, in, in the world, period? It's JavaScript. And, okay, so if JavaScript is the most widely used language in the world, that means that you have a huge talent base. And how can you use that one language? How can you, if you're talking about accelerated programs, how can you train your people um, your students are participants rapidly. So you look at and see, identify that they can definitely get a job using JavaScript, first of all. And how can you use that on the back end? Oh, no, JS. How can you use that on the front end? What are these marketing, com- these marketing companies, these design companies hiring for? Oh, now uh, Facebook came out with ReactJS. Everybody's using that. Then you go and you verify your assumptions and and look at monster.com, you look at indeed.com, and you query and research Node.js, JavaScript, and you see the many jobs that are out there. So you can Google right now, and you can see everybody has these assumptions that, no, JavaScript or C++ or, or C, those are, those are the languages that everybody's hiring for, or Ruby on Rails. No, go, go, go compare the total number of JavaScript jobs to a Node.js job, which is the same thing, to that of any other language. It's going to be JavaScript. So if you focus down and double down on all the tools necessary so that it can master JavaScript, make a master front-end development and master back-end development, you can do that with JavaScript, React.js, and Node.js, which is why we, we taught those languages. And I wonder what everybody is going to the cloud. What is the largest platform that everybody's using? AWS. So we have AWS inside 
inside our training curriculum. And you can't get a job in technology. Well, you can, but you really can't fail and actually take advantage of the full power of the computing ability and the thought of computer without operating inside of the terminal. So you have to teach them how to maneuver inside of the terminal and, and have an expert skill in a language. So once they learn one language extremely well, they can learn any other language pretty much quickly. Like it, it, it shouldn't take them a long time to learn another language because they all operate the same. And everybody does procedural languages, which is C and C++. Um, JavaScript is a functional language, so it, it teaches you to think differently about problems and issues. So once you knock that out and you go into and you understand C, for instance, that that's what Linux is programmed in, then you understand both of, of those different paradigms. So our, our thing is just creating a space and an environment and a, that they can actually rapidly learn. They can have accelerated learning. And you, we do that through one language that allows them to get a job and that allows them to learn front-end and back-end development. So that's how we, we create our, our curriculum. That's how we think about these issues. And that's how we rapidly develop and, and, and create talent. And I used to be able to code, so I know a few languages. And you're right, every language plays off of each other. So it's like once you know the basics, you basically can go and learn any programming language. Definitely, and so if you learn JavaScript, you learn the HTML and the CSS that we teach you inside of our programming, and that pretty much all boot camps should teach their students. You can get a job at a design firm. When you start talking about backend development, a lot of these companies and firms they want you to have multiple years of experience. And for people who don't know what front end and back end is exactly, you want to take a second to explain. So when I say front end development. When you go to a web page or when you go to a web application or you go into a mobile device, what you see on the screen is front-end development. It's your user interface, your user experience, UI, UX. So you're going to hear those terms a lot. Back-end, you're talking about to efficiently present that information that is housed on the back-end to the user on the front-end. Thank you for explaining because sometimes, you know, people are afraid to ask or don't know what it actually means. So I'm all about each one, teach one. So now everybody should know the difference between front end and back end development. <laughs> and for a lot of the podcast, we've been talking about people who are trying to get into the tech industry. And I want to point out one thing. When you all were growing up, did you ever think that you would be working in tech or helping awareness to the tech industry? So when I, when I was growing up, I, yes, I, I did, um, but I didn't think it would be in this position. When I was in the sixth grade, I was in um, a computer, computer club. I was tearing up computers, building computers. Um, I would come in early in the morning at 6 a.m., play Duke Nukem for an hour, and then do a little bit of um, manipulation with HTML and CSS, thinking I was the best coder in the world. And I didn't know anything about like a, a, a powerful language like C++. But... I was researching, like, during that time, my uh, professor, I was like, I'm going to Georgia Tech. I grew up in Georgia, playing this Georgia, so Georgia Tech was that institution. I'm going to Georgia Tech. I'm going to be a computer engineer. And I was like, it's the best school in the world. And then he was like, have you ever heard of MIT? I was like, no, what is MIT? So I started researching MIT and uh, Caltech, Cal Institute of Technology. But, so I thought that I was going to be just working in computers and just building websites and, and, and building computers. I, I, later on, my understanding 
Dodgers is and what they do and how they operate change. Um, but I never thought that I would be in this capacity as an ecosystem builder. I didn't merge my ambition with my career. And when I say my ambition, when I um, applied to Morehouse, I wrote in my admissions essay that I wanted to be a pillar in the black community. And that's the reason why I wanted to go to Morehouse. So I didn't merge that with my, I guess, my passion for computer science and computers um, and technology and STEM. So now you can see that full circle. That's that's how I envision it. But Felicia, that's you. Yeah, I um, I mean, I wanted to be an, an engineer when I was in high school, but I I sucked at math, and so everyone around me told me that like I was delusional. But I was also like one of those kids that could rewire cable into my room, and like MacGyver was like my favorite show, and I was like tinkering, and I would break things apart and put things back together. So I was definitely like a really hands-on kind of learner. Um, and it just, it, it didn't really like manifest itself in the classroom environment. And that's why I think I struggled in like the traditional classroom setting so much. Cause I'm like, I could do this. Like I've done this, but then I go into the classroom. They're like, no, you got to do it this way. Which made absolutely no sense. But um, you know, a lot of what Derek said is, is true, right? Like I had visions of wanting to accomplish certain things and I've accomplished like a lot of those things, but they've also come in different forms, right? But still kind of meeting that goal. Sometimes it took much longer or the road was like crazy winding, uh, but it, it was like, uh, it, it got us there. And so for us and like the work that we do right now, it's so rewarding because this is the work that I want to do, you know, um, and the combination of the things that we do between uh, running Code Fever and Black Tech Week and now our co-working space and um, I travel and I speak and I've, you know, I, I love to create. And so if you, um, you know, if I answer the question as far as like, you know, being a kid and wanting to be in a creative environment at all times and have the freedom and the luxury to be able to create, then yes, I've always dropped that way. Um, but as like career specific, I wanted to be an engineer, but I was also, I was always told like, it just wasn't happening. And I think, you know, a large part of the way we run our programs and everything we've been able to do with Co-Fever and Black Tech Week has, has been fueled by that experience um, of being like a 17-year-old and your guidance counselor trying to define what the rest of your life was going to look like. It's crazy how one person's words can truly affect your life, right? Just like you mentioned, the guidance counselor. But you know what also affects our life and what's really affecting the tech community? Our own personal community. So let's talk about that. Yeah, and, and, and I think it's just, again, I think all of us that, that do this this work and just around even just ch- changing the narrative but applying uh, do this work, but then also, you know, the ecosystem work and really around getting our co- our communities really comfortable with technology. Like I always like to tell parents, I'm like, you know, even if you look at crowdfunding platforms like Indiegogo and Kickstarter and the funeral crowdfunding site go out, <laughs> like all these sites that are that are there, like that's not new to us. You know, like we crowdfund every Sunday in the black church. Like we do, right? We're always like raising money and collectively pulling money together. And in the Caribbean it's called partner and and for generations and on the continent of Africa it's called Susu. So, like, this collective kind of coming together to raise money, like, that, the essence of that and the utility of that is that new. The technology overlay so that it can be accessed globally 
That's the difference, right? So it's not for a lack of ideas in our community. And we can go on and on, right? You can look at the utility of, like, Uber pool, like people paying a dollar, two dollars, or whatever, and going from point A to point B and kind of piling into this vehicle, and, like, the whole kind of sharing economy, that, in essence, is not new to the black community either, right? Like, we've done that. Uh, we continue to do that. The utility of Airbnb, like, all of these things, you know, glam squad of having, you know, when I had hair, right, being able to text my friend and say, hey, can you come to my house and do my hair? Can you come to my house and cut my hair and do my makeup? Like, we've always done that because we probably saw those problems out of necessity. You know, the difference is realizing and valuing those ideas as being very innovative ideas, right, um, and, and then being able to find the right resources and the right funding so that those ideas can become global ideas. Um, and that we are able to think bigger in our communities because we have the idea that we've seen that time and time and time again, that we've had it. Uh, and if we continue to go back in history and really know our history and know the position that the black community has always held um, in the tech space, in innovation, as inventors, right, Black History Month is coming up and then we see all these stories and then we kind of forget them because they're 11 months. And, and think like, you know, why are we struggling to get into a space that we essentially invented in a lot of ways? We want to go back to the history of how mathematics was invented and like all these different things, right? You know, like, so for us, it's like, how do we get our community over that hump to then get them over the hump of the technical training where they can see how they exist in this space and how we've always been there. But then the bigger part is changing the perception of who we are and the value that we add, and for people to stop looking at us immediately as our challenges, but look at us as our, the contributions that we've always um, provided to the tech space. So as we know, in the Black community, we have a ton of ideas, and one of the issues that we have is actually bringing those ideas to life. So let's talk about funding a little bit. And you and Felicia have a lot of experience with trying to raise money. So is there any lessons that you or Felicia have learned that you want to share with the listeners? That, that sounds like a conversation over alcohol. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think to answer the, the question quickly is, you know, there's, there's raising as a small business and then there's raising as a, a startup, right? And so I think one of the things is, is asking yourself if you actually need the money. Um, and I think too many people get wowed by the, the, the paycheck, right? Like, I need this funding. Um, and not really coming up with a business model that they can be funded by their customers. Like, it, it sounds, like, very traditional and, like, old school, but it's sustainable. Um, and so I'm like, I, I, you can't lose sight of, of, of that. And that's more of a small business conversation. I wish it was more of a, a startup conversation, you know, whether it's customers one by one or it's contracts and procurement opportunities. Um, and we see a lot of that with the startup founders that are part of our VC and residence program. They need, they need funding, right, to allow them to be able to fully commit, leave their job, with all these other issues that we have that sometimes other communities or people, sometimes people in other communities don't necessarily have. Um, so that stifles the opportunities that they're able to get. But then, like, getting a contract um, and working with, like, local government and economic development agencies um, or that can be just as good, if not better, right? Because that is actual real money coming in and proof that your business model works and that your company can be sustainable. So I think that would be that would be one. 
personally, from our experience, I would say vetting the investors as much as they vet you. Uh, and that, again, kind of goes with, like, don't get wild by the money that you're not paying attention and making sure that this is someone that, worst-case scenario, you will literally be talking to every single day. And it's more of like a shotgun marriage, right, because a lot of things happen really fast oftentimes in those conversations. And have you done your due diligence? Have you made sure that this is someone that you actually like um, and you are willing to be with for a few years to see it to whatever it is? Uh, I think the other part of that, and then Derek, you know, you chime in on anything else, because we, we went through it, you know, and I, I think we're very candid about our story because I wish more people would be candid about their story. Uh, you know, whether it's being a black founder and raising money from people that don't look like you and some of the, the, the racial undertones and microaggressions that come along with that. I think just being black and not being comfortable with money and having those really big money conversations and making sure that the deal actually makes sense for you. Um, and then it's also a deal that, like, financially is, is your, your valuation is where it should be because we see that a lot of times too. And then, you know, again, just like making sure, like I can't stress enough, like making sure that the person is a good fit and then understanding and having an exit strategy. Uh, I think if one mistake that we made is that we didn't have an exit strategy, right? And we we actually like found out like our investors did have an exit strategy. And it might sound like really crazy, but this was also like six years ago, right? Um, or five years, five, six years ago. And we just, we just didn't. We were like, yeah, we're going to be together for a long time because we have, like, all these goals. And, you know, we talked about being we're married. You know, yeah, come back to them for more money. And then we got, we got this document that we weren't supposed to get. They were like, yeah, we're going to be out of this three years. And we were, like, heartbroken. Like, what do they mean? Like, they want to exit this in, in three years. And, again, not fully understanding the process at the time, right? But then uh, to protect ourselves, um, and understand the position that we had in the deal, but more importantly, just um, as entrepreneurs, like what is your exit strategy? So whether you are you have a traditional small business, you have a lifestyle business, whether you have a, a startup, um, and you're trying to like be acquired or go, or go public or whatever, like you have to have you should really be setting your exit strategy at the same time you're setting your entrance your entrance strategy when you're first starting out, because I think. That allows you to put certain processes in place that allows you to build a team um, that allows you to be able to scale um, and be able to, to, to create that kind of repeatable and fundable model that kind of can lead you to success in launching a startup. So I think that would be my, my two cents, uh, Derek. I don't know if you want to add. Yeah, but like, so <laughs> the, yeah I, I agree wholeheartedly with Felicia. Like, yeah, we, we're still like we we we've learned. We've got we've we've gotten a, a, a ton of wisdom from our experiences in the past. So uh, we can go days on, on talking about that. But people need to understand the language of business, and the language of business is not one thing. It's a duality, and that duality is communication and the financial. All right. So when if you don't understand how to communicate effectively with clients, with potential clients, with customers, with your employees, with management, and with other executives, and with your contractors, like your legal team, your accounting team, all of those people, 
you're not going to be successful. So you need to focus on communication and asking the right questions. And in order for you to ask the right questions to these professionals, you have to understand their job. You don't have to be an expert at it. You need to just understand it. Similar to a liberal, liberal arts education, you have to take all of these courses. You don't have to be an expert at all those courses, but you have to understand them. And that's, that's the way business is. You have to un- understand all of these different aspects of business. And you have to understand how it pertains to the industry that your business is operating in. So looking at your competitors and seeing how they market to their client, what is their market segment? What is the size of this industry? So that you can communicate effectively to potential clients when you're selling your services or your product or investors when you're talking about, oh, this is the potential in, in, in our organization. So the first thing is, like, you cannot, you need to understand business 101, how the numbers work, what is the income statement, what is the balance statement, how accounting works, um, because I had, to, I, I had to learn that. Like, I, you, took, you take these accounting courses, and you think you know everything, but then when that accountant comes to, who is a partner at a, a top firm, and they come to you and be like, nah, you're doing it wrong. You need to do this. You need to put all these checks in place. Like, it, it's eye-opening. Like, so you have to have these experts on, on your team. And I think the best way for somebody um, to understand business is to actually start a business. And the and number two is to go to SBA. Go to the SBA and go through that process of being certified because it t- and, and look at those tutorials because it walks you through everything that you need to know to properly organize your business and found your business. The only error on that entire web page is the business plan. You don't need no business plan. What's a business plan? You need a business model and you need a marketing plan. And you have to identify your customer base. So you have to identify the actual people who are going to buy your product. So when you're creating your product, you say, okay, this is my MVP. Now it's like I'm going to give this free to these people that I, I think or I'm going to sell these first couple um, of services or subscriptions to whatever my, my product is. And based on the people and the information that you gather from the individuals purchasing that, then you start refining your product based on their desires and their needs because that is your market. And once you do that, you have identified your customer base and your customer uh, development pipeline. And then you start building out your marketing team and your business development team, and you start hiring people to go directly at those people because you know who is buying your stuff now. That's, that's the whole thing about business. Business is being able to identify who your customers are, if there is a market for your service. And one thing is you don't have to go and get your MBA. Once you, once you start your own business and you get your, 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 uh, your feet wet and you, you begin to understand these numbers, you, you hire your accountant, you hire your lawyer, and it can be just them to create your articles of incorporation when we're talking about a lawyer or get your accountant to uh, create your, uh, your controls, your financial controls um, so that you operate properly and that you file your payroll and that you, that you, um, you pay your sales tax um, uh, on a regular basis and on time. 
then you that's the only thing you need them for. And then at the end of the year when you're doing your taxes. So you don't necessarily – and, well, your monthly um, reconciliations as well. So you can be conservative in how you use those experts because they are costly. And if you want an MBA, I would say get a certificate in business. So Dartmouth has an amazing program. HBS has an amazing program for executives, and it's a, a probably a four-day, five-day intensive uh, business training for executives. You can go get your MBA in five days and uh, or in two weeks based on one of these programs. And then you're like, you got the same understanding. You have access to a network of executives and the Dartmouth or the HBS or the MIT or the Stanford community or whatever, whatever top business school you decide to go and get your certificate from. And you also have already gotten the basics from SBA.org or, or .gov, which is a government organization. And you can get your, your small business designation and your uh, minority uh, business uh, designation. So those are the things that I would recommend. I would recommend going to SBA.gov, understanding how to create and uh, organize your business, going to your secretary of state, which is where you actually incorporate your dollar. In the state of Florida, it's $125, um, your articles of incorporation and everything. I would get a lawyer in the very beginning to make sure that it's in line with everything that you want in your articles of incorporation because those are legal documents. Those are the rules and regulations that your institution will be governed and operated by. That's why they call them your articles of incorporation. Um, and then your accounting and financial structure and reporting um, from an accountant um, or a business development consultant who has an accountant background who can replicate the systems that you need to put in place. Um, because they're, But you also have to give them some kind of insight, and that insight can be based on, um, again, you starting your business and understanding and getting those first couple of clients, and you can say, hey, this is the process that we're looking at. Can you come in and, and do that? So when you start doing your audited reports and everything, everything is in line because it's key, because that's the only way that you're going to be able to get debt and be able to use that debt to scale. That's the only way you're going to be able to get financial backing. So that's, that's what I would have to say. Those are great tips, and I hope the people who are listening and wanting to start up a business or ha maybe have a startup and needed some direction are taking notes because – I mean, who else is going to just lay down the truth and tell you this information? It's very rare. Again, we're about eliminating innovation deserts. Our thing is about black power. And when I say power, that means influence. So when, 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 we, when I use the word power, money gives you power. It gives you power over your life. It gives you influence over how people perceive you, how people approach you, it is power. It, 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 it re-empowers you. It gives you your God-given right back. So in order for you to do that, business is one of the best ways to do that. And if I can empower more black people, I'm down for it. Yes, yes. I like that spirit and the passion that you guys have behind everything that you're doing. Yes, you have to. So Black Tech Week is coming up very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. So what can what are yeah. you excited about? What do you tell my listeners about the event and what you're excited about? We're excited about all of it. <laughs> I mean, it's, we're going into um, our, our fourth year. So we're really excited about um, all the speakers, uh, the, the programming, 
uh, sunshine in Miami for the people that are coming from, from out of town. But yes. it's the way that Black Tech Week is, is, is structured, you know. So it's, it's a technology conference, but it's, it's so much more than that. You know, it's really – you see a lot of reference if you go on our site like a family reunion because that's absolutely what it feels like. And there's programming for, for everyone, you know. So there's programming for, for youth with our Family Tech Day that's taking place at, at Tribe. Um, we go into, like, culture and ecosystem building as well. Uh, we have, like, Bobby Seal, who is one of the founders of Black Panther uh, Party, as one of our keynote speakers. Like, where do you see that, right? Um, and the epic mashup of speakers that are and panelists that are going to be a part of that. So we can have the historical conversation. We can have the, um, you know, the, the economic um, development and viability conversation, um, and and also have the conversation around technology and innovation and inclusion and all that stuff. So, uh, and then we also have our UCN residents, and this is the first time we're adding that as a part of the conference. Techstars uh, is, is going to be uh, Lisa Mitchell from Techstars, as well as four of the members um, of their team are going to be doing one-on-one uh, VC and residence office hours with uh, startup founders that are registered for the conference. Um, McKeever out of, with Tedco out of Baltimore is one of our other VC and residents. Um, and just like a really cool group of people. But our Women's Innovation Brunch closes out the week, which is also always just a special event that's like near and dear to my heart because, you know, they just like, I'm not a techie, and I'm like, well, we can have that whole conversation. But they're like, I understood Women Innovation Brunch, and we celebrate women innovators from all different industries and just have a good time. And an event with you, uh, with Comcast, with our VIP uh, dinner that I'm really excited about as well. And there's, there's just a lot. There's a lot going on in some oh, phenomenal yeah. speakers. We have a pitch competition that's taking place on the Thursday night. Um, so there's a lot that goes on during that week. And, again, the whole week is presented by Knight Foundation and Comcast. List program is um, a sponsor as well, um, as well as like SPL and um, Career Source um, and some other like, really phenomenal sponsors. So it's, it's an awesome week. It's a lot going and on. Magic Leap is a sponsor as well, which is a really cool um, augmented reality and virtual reality company here. Uh, they're actually like, and um, most of that programming is taking place in our new uh, co-working and urban innovation lab, as well as two other locations in historic Overtown, which are the Lear Theater and the Overtown Performing Arts Center. And I'm excited because this is going to be actually my first time going to Black Tech Week, but it's you have a little bit of everything for everybody. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure there'll be more to come. I'm sure everyone's going to be sharing information that they're receiving from the conference on social media. So to end our conversation, so we've talked about the different events. We've talked about just a brief overview of how you got to where you are today. But one thing that you've mentioned earlier was that you were married for nine years and you're working on different companies together. Do you have any tips or advice for people who are married and working together? I knew this was coming. Several works in a first and state. <laughs> yeah, I would I would definitely say make sure you have like a life or hobbies or something that you do that is separate because we do spend we spend a lot of time together and it's it's hard to like go home and stop talking about work because it just never ends. 
right? It's this is kind of our, our life, but um I would definitely say that would be my biggest thing and then open communication is extremely important and just kind of I said from time to time just like check in on your partner. Like, you know, is this getting too crazy? Uh what should we do? Do we need a vacation? Do we need vacation or like whatever? But I think that would be that would be my advice is have something else that you do. You know, that is just yours and yours alone and that's your alone time or that's your time with your friends or your family that your co you know, your partner and your life partner is not a part of and that way it's just like things are just kind of like uh, you have that moment of um to yourself. Yeah, I don't for men just just use the word yes a lot. Um <laughs> for me, um I will I will shut down when I get home. I will like uh, unless it's very important or there's a huge deadline. Nope, no, nah, no, nah, I don't have nothing to do with that. Like I'll handle that tomorrow. Um, because otherwise there is no off button. So instead of it being family time or um just relationship time and 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 being with your your, your partner, you know what I mean? Like it's or your child, it's 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 never gonna stop. Like you you have no time. So you have to be willing to say no and be willing to take the consequences for saying no. Because again, like and you have to you have to judge the situation. Now if we're talking about like, hey, if I don't get this proposal over to this guy within the next hour and I'm gonna lose this million dollar contract, of course you're gonna do that, but not on a consistent basis. You know what I mean? Because not everything is life or death. Um, family is extremely important to me, so say yes a lot and um, make sure you turn off. I mean, so personally, I'm not married, so I don't have that situation, but I've actually, oddly enough, interviewed quite a few married couples who are working together, so I always ask. Separating the work is definitely important, and they're just supporting each other. You know, like I, my dad's an entrepreneur and my mom is not, you know, and that made for really interesting kind of dynamic, you know? And so I learned a lot about like what it takes to truly support an entrepreneur uh, and like the just extreme highs and extreme lows, right? That kind of come with that roller coaster. And so when you add two entrepreneurs together in a household, you have to be like each other's like biggest like support system and advocate because it, it, it like entrepreneurship is extremely hard. Uh, and when like your bread and butter is literally dependent on the both of you at all times, that's that's stressful, you know, because you're always on when you need to be off sometimes. And so it's supporting each other and getting the kind of your own space, um, I think to me are the two things that are extremely important. Well, before I end the podcast, anything that you want to share with the audience? I think we went through a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I would say continue to put, like, all your gifts out into the world. You know, I think if this administration has taught us anything, it's just, like, you, you, we have no excuses as to, like, why we're not living our best life because our president is determined to live his best life. Um, and the rules are literally just, like, completely out the window. So nothing should hold you back. You know, I think that was the best, the biggest lesson I learned the day after the the election. Like, I just wound down the windows and I was like, what is it that I want to do? And just literally do it because clearly, you know, that's all you can do in this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I, would, I would say, keep in mind that what we're talking about, every, uh, underlining theme of everything that we discussed today is about self-improvement. 
always want the best for yourself and like investing in yourself. So mm-hmm. coming to Black Tech Week is investing in yourself. So make sure that you do that most importantly and you, you heed the advice um, and the insight that we've given you um, throughout this talk because with, without that, you're not, you're not going to um, amount because like, you, you're never going to know anything. The only thing you can do is be willing to be cut, be willing to be refined, um, and, and to grow from those experiences and get the wisdom um, that each experience has to offer. So um, just just keep your head down, be able to talk uh, to people, and and share your ideas. Everybody keeps talking about, oh, man, I can't share my idea because somebody's going to steal your idea. Nobody has, like, to be truthfully honest, Many people who are doing the work and who are venture capitalists, we don't have time to steal your ideas. So just talk about your ideas as much as possible because they're going to use their insight and their wisdom to help you um, with your idea. Because we all have visions um, and things that we want to accomplish ourselves. So be open, be willing to uh, receive, and be willing to build yourself up. And that is a great note to end on. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. I told you guys Derek and Felicia had lots of great gems to drop on you today. Thank you for listening to episode 10 of Black Tech Unplugged. If you want to connect with Derek and Felicia, go to the full show notes at blacktechunplugged.com and find all of their social media links. If you're a new listener or you haven't subscribed already, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you listen to your podcasts and hit that subscribe button. And if you really like what you're hearing, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and give me those five stars and an amazing rating. Until next time.